Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 538 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and today my guest is Nikki Payne, debut author of Pride and Protest, a contemporary retelling of Pride and Prejudice. It's set in D.C. between an activist DJ and a CEO developer. And I know many of you just hit pause to go find this book. So it's in the show notes. Do not worry. Nikki is also a tech anthropologist. So this conversation hits on like major current events like Twitter and how Jane Austen was an amateur anthropologist and shade queen. This conversation is very wide reaching and extremely fun. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community for making the show possible, making sure every episode has a transcript. Hi, Garlic Knitter. Happy Thanksgiving. And keeps me going. If you would like to join, if what we do has value for you, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Patrons get exclusive opportunities to ask questions to guests. We have a Discord that is one of the most lovely places on the internet, including a channel full of jokes. <laughs> and bonus episodes. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartpitches. Monthly pledges start at one whole dollar a month. A special good day to my Canadian, Australian, Kiwi, and Italian listeners. The following message is for you. Imagine having your favorite bookstore with you wherever you go, or being able to access over six million titles all the time. 
At Rakuten Kobo, we're here to make your reading life better. Plus, you, not me, because I'm in America, but you get access to Kobo Plus. All you can read ebooks for one low price every month. You have options and you can try it free for 30 entire days. Yes, 30, a whole month. If you've got time for reading in the coming months, this is the perfect opportunity. The whole Kobo Plus catalog free for one month. No, I'm not jealous. Yes, I totally am. You can sign up for Kobo Plus and enjoy endless ebooks at no cost for 30 days. And then after 30 days, pay only $9.99 Canadian, eh? $13.99 Australian, $14.99 New Zealand per month. Did I just make you cringe? I bet I did. They got romance. They got mystery. They got nonfiction, young adult, science fiction, fantasy, all the things you like. One low price every month. Yes, I'm super envious because we don't have access. Are you ready to elevate your reading world? Start reading with Kobo. This episode is brought to you in part by my favorite comfortable washable shoes, Rothy's. And if you're thinking, you know, I could have some stylish, comfortable go with literally everything shoes, heads up. Rothy's first ever Black Friday archive event is happening from November 23rd to November 30th. For one week only, you can save big on items that rarely get marked down with big discounts. And for the first time, bags and accessories are on sale, which is very dangerous for me because I've been looking at some of the Rothy's bags, so this is good news. Plus, every holiday season, Rothy's releases their limited edition Sparkly Holiday Shimmer Collection. This year, there are slippers and bags and gorgeous sparkly shoes. My sister-in-law has a pair and I totally covet them. The Rothy's Black Friday Archive event is perfect for shopping for you and for people on your gift list this year. They're comfortable, they stretch because they are woven, and they're made out of recycled plastic, so they're durable and sustainably made. They're really the perfect gift. For stylish and comfortable shoes, shop Rothy's. Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash Sarah and head to the first ever Black Friday archive event starting November 23rd through November 30th, 2022. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Sarah. This episode is brought to you in part by Paired, a relationship app for couples. It is getting darker earlier and earlier. And if you are thinking about staying in and having some good conversations with your partner, the Paired app can make nights in a lot of fun. Paired is a relationship app for couples. You and your partner download the app, pair together, and each day you get questions and quizzes and games to play. They help you feel connected and can inspire some very fun conversations. I like Paired because it's really easy and it's often hilarious. We receive a daily question to answer and I can't see my partner's answers until I have responded. The five question quizzes are really entertaining once both Adam and I have answered. Sometimes you have to take the quiz for yourself and then try to predict what the other person will say. I love it when I correctly guess, but it's really fun when we're way off base and I have to ask him why. Whether you're just a few dates in or have been together a long time, it's time to lighten the mood and have fun with your partner by using Paired. Head to Paired.com slash Sarah to get a seven-day free trial and 25% off if you sign up for a subscription. Just head to P-A-I-R-E-D.com slash Sarah to sign up today. Connect with your partner every day using Paired. A happier relationship starts here. This episode is brought to you in part by Athletic Greens. If you are looking for an all-in-one supplement and obviously you would like one that tastes good, take a look at Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because it is easy. It contains everything I need and want in a supplement. It's fast 
and it tastes good. First thing in the morning, one scoop, cold water, and I'm done. Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is a climate neutral certified company. Their convenient travel packs are easy to bring along, especially if I'm changing time zones and I don't know when I'll be hungry or what'll be around. It's vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and contains less than a gram of sugar with no GMOs. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Sarah. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Sarah to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's time to get started with the podcast. If you have some travel this weekend or you need some extra quiet time, this is a nice long episode for your listening pleasure. Let's visit with Nikki Payne, Jane Austen, and me. My name is Nikki Payne. I am the author of Pride and Protest. What do I do? By day, I am an anthropologist and I ask a lot of important people really silly questions to try to get to some answers. But when I'm not being an anthropologist, I am thinking of ways to retell amazing stories and and thinking about how we repeat and repeat folklore and stories um, over and over. And Jane Austen is a perfect example of that. And Pride and Protest is actually one of those stories where I'm trying to tell a new story by telling an old story. I love this. Also, my job is also to ask people questions. Yay! It's like, like that's a major part of my job too. <laughs> well, first of all, most importantly, happy release day! Yes, the book is out! Isn't it just absolutely terrifying? <laughs> it is terrifying. I want to puke, but I also want to peek through the puke to say, like, do you like it? Do you love me? You know? Uh, so, yeah. Very, it's, it's a confusing time. But oh my goodness, I have seen this book everywhere. I am so, I have seen it mentioned by so many people. And you're the debut Phenomenal Book Club pick. Ah, yes. congratulations. Yes. Oh my gosh, the Phenomenal team is so funny, first of all. Um, one of the things that I am, one of my only skill sets is Jane Austen memes. And this is a good skill set. This is right. This is one of my few Jane Austen memes. And I also combine that with like my black Twitter street cred. So like my little lane of like Jane Austen memes are just extremely specific and strange. So yes. I love everything about this. <laughs> So what will readers find inside Pride and Protest? What is your like elevator pitch, as they say in the Ooh. industry? Ooh, okay. Um, so I think we start off with an, a well-meaning want-to-be activist who has her heart in the right place and doesn't have all the oomph behind it. And she uh, wants to make an impact. And there is a seemingly immovable force in front of her, right? Mm -hmm. um, this uh, individual who has to deliver this one, one last job, you know, um, before he gets out of this game for good, right? And, and she is trying to make a name for herself. And she has to, she find she feels like she has to um, essentially show everyone who she is, she that that she's going to be listened to and that she, what she feels is important. And she feels like she has to do that by um, countering this movement. And 
It starts off hilariously because she gets a lot of things wrong. He also gets a lot of things wrong as well. Story and checks out. Yep. Story, story checks out. I think there's a there's a lot of of the, the classic, like if you love Jane Austen, you're going to be like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Like, ooh, I, I know. I remember that. Yep. <laughs> if you love Jane Austen, you're going to recognize all of the characters and all of the beats. If you don't, you actually don't need to. Like if ninth grade English traumatized you, honey, we're fine. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> right? You can still read this and not know a thing about it. Yep. There's just a sprinkling of like only one nap pod and... I'm not supposed to want you. A little bit of, of forbidden um, yep. desire as well. Um, and I, I think it's fun and like sexy and funny more than anything. I have to ask about the hero's name. He is yes. Dorsey Fitzgerald, which, okay, first of all, that's brilliant. But also, is that a reference to Jack Dorsey? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I, I would love if that if that were. But I was trying to make a a crossover. I was trying to make a crossover from another uh, reference um, from his actual like Filipino name. So like one of the one of the interesting aspects of this Mister Darcy is that he's kind of a part of this transracial, transcultural, transnational adoption yeah. um, spree and. He's like grappling with his own place in society and like kind of what it means, yep. which is why like the original mistake that that um, our heroine makes is so is so um, triggering for him. Right. Because of his own place in in society. Yep. And one of the one of the, the reasons why um, this Dorsey is so like dear to my heart. So like, like I told you before, I'm an anthropologist in, you know, by training and. I was doing some research on aesthetics and power and like how people attach and associate to things that they seem or or feel are beautiful. And there's some dating app data and what that dating app data found just kind of across the nation was that like black women and Asian men were the least responded to in these dating apps. Like they, they were perceived to have like less sexual capital in these digital spaces. Right. And I, as I, I was starting to like noodle on a new project and Jane Austen is always my comfort. Um, And I wanted to ask this question, like, Hey, what would happen if we made this like archetypical brooding, super desirable hero, an Asian male, right? What would happen if we made this like delightful, desirable woman, um, a black woman. And I just started with this kind of experiment to see how much of Jane Austen would stay if you just ripped out those foundations. And it was remarkably, faithful. Wow. That is fascinating. So that's your, that was your entry point, this data from dating apps about who is perceived as having less sexual capital. That was your point of entry. Absolutely. What were some of the easiest parts when you were going through writing the story? Because one of the things with, that's so like challenging about Pride and Prejudice is that everyone has very strong feelings about it. We are all very, very attached to it. Do not monkey with tradition. And people will like, they get hated about the, you know, Colin Firth versus James McAvoy, like the the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice and the Jennifer Ely. Like people will, people will get mad. They get they, oh, very honey, strong. Were you, were you in the chats for this uh, latest persuasion? Because it was a bloodbath. It was a bloodbath. Oh, man. my stars. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. So uh, to your point, though, one of the, there, there are a couple of things that I felt like needed to happen 
table stakes. One, Dorsey had to have a stick up his ass, right? He just, he couldn't be chill. He couldn't be like Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Like, <laughs> you know? That is a different like, book. Yeah, Darcy comes with a stick in his in his exactly. Cannot Darcy avoid it. The stick, right? Um, and I also felt like um, whatever happened, that disastrous display, that disastrous moment where he's trying to tell her how much he loves her, but does it in the worst possible way, also had to happen. Yep, right. It, because it was this inflection point where he realized that, oh, wait a minute, I'm maybe not that dope. I need to I need to you know, rearranging things, right? Um, one of the the best things about this story is that there are two incredibly bright and interesting people who are willing to allow their minds to be changed about a situation and about a person. And if that moment doesn't happen where um where it's Im- imperative that they do, yeah. It it would be it would be hard to keep the the structure of the of the novel. So absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely that that proposal had to happen. I had to have a wick. I didn't care if he had like a, a awesome backstory. I'm just like, I need a good, juicy bad guy. Like I just need a juicy, unequivocal bad guy. Sometimes I love like characters that just like don't have an arc. You know how there's like this thing of like, you know, if you have a, a bad guy, like give us a reason why he's bad and you know, all these things. And I tried to give Wick some depth, but I'm just like, he's juicy. He's juicy. And I want to keep that I want to keep him being a little self-serving. Yeah, so, he's, pardon my language, he's a fuckboy with backstory. My God, I, he absolutely is a fuckboy. And I'm like, if Wick's not a fuckboy, what are we doing? Right. <laughs> what are and we he, even doing? He's like one of the top three of all time fuckboys. He really, he really is. He really is. And in the 1995, he's played much in a, a much more like hapless charm, like charming person who just like lies a lot got into a little gambling trouble yeah you know, a little bit of a huckster but nothing but sticks to him nothing sticks to him exactly mm-hmm. yep yeah that second one do you have a favorite i like them both for different things it's hard to say yeah. because i have the pride and prejudice with kira knightley permanently downloaded to my phone because when i am in the most stressful place i put on the headphones and I turn on the movie and I'm just like, okay, yeah. it's all good. Like if there's turbulence on the plane, you will find oh. me watching the Pride and Prejudice movie. Yes, ma'am. Right? Here, here's the thing that I feel like the Jane Austen community is just like, I'm, you know, here we are. It's just us in, in the walls here. I'll say it. The 2005 delivers the swoon. It delivers the swoon. Yes, ma'am. I mean, it just, it makes your stomach flip. It delivers. It makes your heart tremble. It does that. Yep. And as much as I love a Colin Firth and a and a distant smile from across the room, like the nineteen ninety-five version is for like, hey, you know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna dare to be eight hours long. You know what That's I mean? Right. Like I, I'm gonna luxuriate in Jane Austen. In the I got deep- a budget and I got time. <laughs> I got a budget, I got time. Yep. I wanna know what they had for dinner, like that level, fine. Yep. But delivering the swoon is two thousand five. Absolutely. I mean, and the 2005 does so much with economy of storytelling. That's true. It gets a lot done in just one scene or one image. And it, it like, even with the way that they show time passing around the characters, I'm like, wow, this is really clever. And yet I love the BBC version because if you just want to luxuriate in that world, you can just, it's, it's eight hours. You got time. All day. You got time, baby. That's All right. day. All day. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. I want to ask you about being an anthropologist because this is so interesting, especially the intersection of anthropology and Jane Austen. And I know mm-hmm. from your bio, you are a tech anthropologist, um, which I, I have to say, it must be really boring to be a tech anthropologist right now. It's just really <sighs> boring. There's nothing happening in the tech world at all. Oh, like, Wow. Not at all wow. illustrative of the human uh, uh, human nature yeah. and the ways in which we put people on pedestals. And yeah, nothing's happening right now. It must be real boring. Let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> this is the wild, the absolute wild west right now, particularly to be in the tech space. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So I was a um, researcher mm-hmm. and meta and... They are attempting to build an entirely new reality, right? I mean, can you imagine being an anthropologist in this space, being able to ask the types of questions that you want to ask? How are people building and creating their own identities? How are they making an avatar? What does it mean for um, individuals to um, create avatars that they feel safe entering into the metaverse? And that's another thing, like women and people of color do these very interesting things to their avatars to be safe in these virtual spaces, Absolutely. Right? So identity creation, oftentimes, particularly social media, um, like social media platforms are in, in a lot of ways, the new public forum, right? So it's interesting to have anthropologists, particularly cultural anthropologists in this space, because that's essentially what we do. We just sit and hang around campfires you know what I mean? and talk to people about what they've seen and what they know to translate that, um, to translate that work. So being a tech anthropologist is literally the most interesting thing in the universe right now to it, me. There is no shortage of data. It's just, yeah. Just endless data. It's like a fire hose. <laughs> Wait in the face. <laughs> right. Right. That's precisely what it is. So if people don't know what anthropology is, like we've all heard the word, how do you describe anthropology to someone who's not familiar with the idea? Honey, did you? Let, let's do this because let's nerd out all day. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, here for all nerding. Thousand percent. Okay. Okay. Bring it so, on. Anthropology is uh, oftentimes described as four fields, right? So let's go into the four fields. First, archaeology, right? Yep. That physical anthropology. Hey, what did humans um, use? What tools did human humans use? What artifacts do humans like use in the past? What do they use now? Right? Archaeology is always about a thousand years ago. Um, and then there's how do humans speak and talk? That's linguistic anthropology. What is slang? How is language changing? How has technology changed the way we talk, right? How has um, other types of technology that we wouldn't consider technology, like a road, changed the way people spoke and connected across different towns, yeah. right? So linguistic anthropology. And then there's physical anthropology, and that's associated with, you know, our human body. Like if you've seen that show Bones, right? She was a physical anthropologist, a forensic anthropologist in particular. And what they do is focus on the human body and also the human um, the, the species of humans and pre-humans like Lucy and Neanderthals, right? So the, this is, this is the, the family of humanoid, like, I, I'm trying to think of the word here, but like human-esque, yeah. right? <laughs> so, um, so then there, that, that's physical anthropology. And what I do is cultural anthropology. And these are anthropologists that are really focused on, um, phenomena that um, are happening now. Sometimes it's happened in the past and you're talking to people about their like cultural memory of something now. Um, And oftentimes we're asking questions, building phenomena and, and trying to like really investigate uh, an 
a large question around society. So you have humans with stuff, humans with language, humans with body, and humans with how we interact with each other and all that other stuff. And that's where you are located. That's where I'm located. Absolutely. Wow. There's absolutely nothing to talk about there. It's just like a wasteland of nothing. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we could be all day. We could be all day. We could be all day just talking about what happened on Twitter today. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Can we? That's an entirely different podcast, but we can sit and talk for hours about kind of what's happening in the, the tech world right now with Twitter right now. And like these are phenomenons that look remarkably similar to other ones that don't actually mimic technology, right? So what are some things, actually, that's interesting. As I've been thinking, I know that nothing is new, right? If you're you're retelling Jane Austen, if you're buying a private service that functions sometimes as a public utility, all of this, nothing, nothing is new here. This has been, this has happened before. We've traveled this way before and we have a lot to learn. What are the things that you see happening with Twitter that have happened before? Oh, that's such, oh, that's such a good question. One of the ways that people in power attempt to consolidate power, right? So we can think of Twitter as our own unique American experience and like, and social media as a thing that's uniquely American. But if you were to, if you were to um, look at um, ancient, ancient times and the way that new or um, tyrants attempt to um, build a following. The first thing that they uh, are able to do and control are the people who come to them with news and information. Yep. This is court gesture. This is the the um, messenger who's come from another city, yep. right? That those individuals are oftentimes the first people to either get their head chopped off for saying bad news or are the, the line of people that can, can, um, can <clears throat> that are within the kings or the that rulers purview yeah. to manage, yeah. and it's literally like whether you're talking about like a, a farm tribe in like ancient Sumeria or America right now with Twitter, like the means of communication and the and the the way in which a story is told and being able to control the story is oftentimes the the very beginning, the very first how, thing of how individuals begin to consolidate power, Yep. right? So like the story is everything. Oh, the story is everything. And it's not just controlling the narrative. It's controlling every means of a narrative being built. You're absolutely right. You can look back any culture over time, the spreading of, of the word and and how people manage the story and who got to manage the story. It's often the story of the victors. Yep. And who got to write it down? And who got to be alive long enough to write it down? You are right. Yep. It's very depressing to think that we've been here before and we still haven't learned anything. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's a human story. Right? right? Wow. <laughs> we haven't learned a thing. Yay, <laughs> right? humanity. Go us. Oh, right. Anthropology is sad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anthropology is very sad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> sad, sad discipline. Please move away. <laughs> I'm going to go live in a yurt in the middle of nowhere and have no anthropology. <laughs> People are going to find my remains and be like, wow, she was boring. That was how I wanted <laughs> Nothing it. Nothing happened with her. Yeah. <laughs> She was boring. That was what she wanted. So one of the things that Aaron at Penguin Random House, Aaron Galloway, told me was that you see Jane Austen as an anthropologist as well. You see her. I do. I am so (laughs) curious about this. 
especially in the ways in which she was able to observe a society that I know nothing about, that I would never be part of, that I cannot understand. And when if I were to be dropped into that society, I don't know any of the rules. I would screw it up. I would be the fastest ostracized rando lady in that town because I would not know the rules. And I would be like, what am I doing here? I am fascinated by the idea that Austin was able to observe the society she was in in a way that still resonates with us. How many hundreds of years later? It's amazing. So can you tell me more about your perspective of Jane Austen as an anthropologist? Oh my gosh, I love this. I could talk about this all day. So Please do. This is one of the things that appeals to me most about Jane Austen. She has this ability to incorporate these like very large ideas like into tiny, tiny interactions, right? Oh, so, so true. Like sense and sensibility. Like she can have an entire argument about romanticism versus rationalism when she's just snapping on Marianne and her dead leaves, right? And like she's it's, it's full of like these really, really sharp observations that are happening right now. Like at the time, those were real debates happening. Like, are you a rational creature, right? Are you um, a creature kind of wrapped up in those other sensibilities, right? So these are like these large debates that are happening at the time. And she has these observations and her work is like super rich because her observations are extremely sharp and and pulled out of this perspective from like just outside of the ma- mainstream. Right. So she's like she's she wasn't really a part of the class that she wrote about. Right. She was like just a rung below and she was just below enough. Right. To just absolutely sit on the sidelines and be like this dummy. Right. Like one of the things that I often say about when I'm reading Jane Austen versus reading some of my other like favorite heroes is the difference between Jane Austen and her like anthropological stance is that when she's writing about these characters, she knows who the assholes are, right? (laughs) She she knows who the assholes are, right? So no shade against like the Bronte sisters, but like if you're reading Jane Eyre, right? Like you don't really get the sense that, you know, that Rochester is like not okay. You know, like- Like my dude, your wife is in the attic. (laughs) Yeah, like- there are a lot of things not okay right now. Right? How are we not debating the the, the we... heroism of this guy who liked his wife in the attic? <laughs> Come on, no, no shade against anyone who loves the Bronte sisters, but one of the the things that I love about Jane Austen is that she can like you know that she knows who the assholes are in her story, right? Mm-hmm. Like hypochondriacs that she loves snapping on those individuals with enough wealth to waste like money on the presumption of, of non-wellness is something that she just plays with all the time. Oh, yeah. it, you know, as a person who wasn't well herself a lot, right? Um, those individuals who had the freedom and money to be- barely kind of sniffle and have an army of doctors near them and on them. It's just something that she like peers at and notices again from this outside um, area. So she's just outside of society, which is When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Keenest points of being an anthropologist is just standing a little bit outside and being able to see um, something broadly. And she just pulled out these instances and was able to tell large stories about society in, like I said, these tiny interactions. And she was fluent in that society. Absolutely. I have this theory that everything is language, like codes of behavior are language and the ability to interact in different cultures and different groups is a language. And um, one of the biggest problems, I think, with white supremacy is the assumption that white people belong and can enter in any space. And I'm like, none of us are fluent in all of these spaces. You can't just walk into a space and presume fluency. You don't have it. And just because you're white doesn't give you a, a hall pass for lack of fluency. Yeah. So, like, for example, with 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 Jane Austen, she'll make very like characters will make very pointed comments about where somebody's wealth comes from. And if you can decode that, you're like, oh, that person is low class in her eyes because of where the wealth comes from. OK, I have an entire theory about this. So <clears throat> this is this is so interesting to me is that like. Oftentimes, when I reread Jane Austen, the thing that I notice so often is this very thing is how precise she is about the money. Who has what? Like, sometimes these just read like receipts. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my God. Jane Austen had all the receipts. (laughs) She had had receipts of just like, this is his money. This is where he's from. And like, you can see that, of course, these, this is the marriage plot. Like, they're writing about marriage in an interesting way, but like these were like economic novels. Oh yeah. Right? They were novels in which you were describing someone's like economic status and how one is able to traverse that in like really interesting ways. Like you could literally read that without the marriage and read a ton into like economic politics of yep. the time. So these are like that's another thing that I add in in Pride and Protest is it's about the money, honey. Oh, like, it's always. Like, like where's the money? Like I, I talk about that a lot in, in my second novel as well. Like Jane Austen was clear that that is kind of what makes the world go round. And I don't think she's been wrong, you know? So, um, so I, I play with that perspective a little bit. In yeah. the and it even happens with, um, with, with Wickham. The story of his perfidy is not just that he tried to seduce Darcy's sister. It's that he was given a living and then gambled it away. Yes. You were given yes. security. You were given security with zero effort on your part and you frittered it away. That is the marker of a person who Preach is low this. class. Yeah. Preach. That's it. Yeah. That's absolutely it. And that w- and then he didn't deserve heroism. Right? No. Yeah. And for and for Jane Austen, that was that was as irredeemable as messing with with Darcy's sister. It, it yeah. was like layers of his moral failure that he yes. could not a- appreciate the economic stability that he had just been given. Yep. You're absolutely right. I mean, think of Willoughby, 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Charming. I mean, by all accounts, he was in love. He was, you know, he had some baby mama drama, right? Like he had some stuff. Yeah, he he had some some stuff. But honestly, like if you think about the writing in Sense and Sensibility, like the outrage came from him, you know, being forced to being in a a financial situation in which he was forced to not marry Marianne, you know? And being forced to marry this very wealthy person because he couldn't get his financial shit together. Yep. And Janet and Jane was like, I can't, I can't deal with it. Nope. You know, nope. like I can accept these other things, but you ain't got your financial shit together. You got to get out of here. Yep. You know? If you, if you cannot manage, because is everything functions on economics, right? You, your, your spouse, your children, like one of the great problems for the Bennett family is that the estate is entailed and they got all these girls running around. It is the original problem of the entire novel. How are we going to sustain ourselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how are we going to maintain our life that we love um, and also not embarrass ourselves in front of the neighbors? Yeah. Very important part. It is. It is also a very important part of anthropology, isn't it? The performance of your your character in front of other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like social and societal shame. I mean, we're, we're still like pack animals in a way, oh. right? And still is one of the worst ways that you could potentially um, harm a human is social isolation. Oh, right? absolutely. Jails and, and solitary confinement. Um, oftentimes when, when we were just, you know, bipedal, one of the ways that when someone committed a crime, all you, like the, the tribe just left them alone, yep. right? Or just shamed them. Yep. And so- Blending in and fitting in and being a part of society is not just a nice to have. It's actually quite crucial to the human psyche. Yes. And even though American culture emphasizes this individualism and you do it on your own, it's actually utterly not true and you cannot survive or thrive without community. And I I was saying this to my husband the other day. You know, I have not spent a lot of time on Twitter in the last three, four years because it was a dumpster fire and it stressed me out and I would doom scroll and I could feel like my shoulders like approaching my ears and my heart was in my throat. And I was like, why is Twitter so much fun right now? And I, my theory is that we all agree who the main character is. <laughs> and we are all fine with ostracizing and making fun and dunking <laughs> on Elon Musk. We all know who the main character is because Twitter I is like, you don't want to be the main character. If you're the main character on Twitter... You are experiencing ostracization and shame and humiliation and everyone telling you how all of the ways that you've messed up. And of course, there's 280 characters, zero nuance. So being the main character is terrible. But when we all agree who the main character is, it's very fun. Oh, I love that. Like, why is Twitter so fun right now? We all agree on the main character. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. World's worst person in Westeros. Like, yeah. We have identified the asshole, the king of all the assholes. Even Jane is like, yeah, mm-hmm, that's him. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's 100% that guy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Do you ever yeah. think about like Jane Austen resurrected and being on Twitter and being like, oh. Let me t- okay, here's a, you're in my brain right now because <laughs> I constantly, I constantly think about how awesome she would be just on Twitter. I don't know if she's an Instagram girl. Right. She's she's all about the words and she's all about the pithy comments. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just think that Twitter would absolutely be her medium. She would just slay on Twitter. Like, I don't think I would survive a Jane Austen, you know, running. You know, I would. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can think about if, if Jane Austen put you in a book, what words would she use to describe you? You know, I'm just like, I don't want to be a part of it. You know, like there's a story where Cassandra um, like essentially kind of burned 
all of Jane's letters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because she was just like, oh no, like <laughs> these are seeing the light of day. No, nope. because you know, you know that Jane also was just like dunking. Sorry, just thinking about that, I just know the type of sister she was. And if this, if her sister was ride or die and burn those letters, then you know it's... <laughs> Jane on. had some things to say. She had a very long list. Yes, yes. She had like a CVS receipt from the Regency area. Oh, man. You know, people, people are afraid to be the subject of a Taylor Swift song. That's nothing. Nothing, nothing to do. With, I mean, once Jane gets a hold of you, you don't want that smoke. You no, really don't. you do not. <laughs> So why do you call Jane the Shade Queen? I mean, I do not disagree, but why yeah. do you call Jane the Shade Queen? She's just like, she has this, this way of just like burning people without the character's knowledge and sometimes without the reader's, certain types of reader's knowledge, right? So if you can think of like Mr. Collins, mm-hmm. right? Who was, in, you know, for all intents, doing the right thing, Right. And, you know, he he had the money and he was going to go and marry the sisters and he was a religious guy and he had the patronage of a like in all ways in society. Yep. He was great. Right. He knew but, that on paper he looked like a like a swipe. Right. And, yeah, absolutely. Stand up guy. But Jane Austen goes through so much pain to show us that he is a boob. You know what I mean? That he is an absolute like he had the money. Right. He could have given them the economic stability, right? Yep. He was also just an ass, right? And like, one of the things that I also like to say is like, I, I call myself like Jane Austen's sassy black friend. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know that TV trope where like the 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 um, person, that black friend is kind of allowed to transgress propriety and like speak to the the simple truths of a situation. Like that black friend's always like, you in love with the boy, honey. Yep. You know, she just... Mm-hmm. I kind of speak that truth to power, right? In a way that like... And cut through all that code. Yeah. Cut through the code, right? Mm-hmm. And and say it in a way that you don't kind of recognize is actually shade. I, I feel like this is what Jane Austen does. Like she just sits slightly outside of the British upper class and just critiques everything she sees, mostly to hilarious effect. Yep. Right? And that's that's one of the reasons why I also made my character, Lisa, a DJ, because that they represented a very specific role, particularly in Black culture, that they were, like, in the morning, they would be your opinion pieces, like, they were your op-eds, like, they were, would tell you what music is great, and Mm -hmm. they just had these pert opinions, and they were kind of, um, they were able to transgress that, because, hey, it's my job, I'm just telling the story, I'm just talking about the music, right? So, yeah, so that, that same idea of her, like, throwing shade and and being able to kind of speak truth to power because it's packaged in this in this um particular way. I just felt like she was great at. I mean, I'm sassy black friend, but she would she definitely would have been like, you know, sassy neighbor coming, you know, as a, if if she were a TV trope. Yep. And and DJs also occupy a very specific um position because DJs have to distill so much different music and then curate what they're picking and then take it and remix it. And highlight the parts that they think are important. So you might take one line of a song and loop that five times and then build something out of that. But they have to know this broad expanse of what's available before they can distill it into a remixed message. Oh, oh my gosh. First of all, gorgeous. First of all, I wish I would have recorded that because... Oh, I am recording (laughs) conveniently right now. (laughs) 
that's excellent. That's gorgeous. That's a gorgeous way of thinking of it. And and if you think about a character with you know with 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 her own kind of pert opinions, and in in classic literature she loves books and she still loves books, but like making her a, a DJ in particular, this kind of interesting librarian of of sounds and experiences. Yes, also a great translation of like why why a person like this uh, would be well suited for that. Absolutely. And she's going up against housing development. Yeah. And so much of what is going on in American culture can be traced to or is deeply rooted in housing and where we live and how we are placed in the places where we live. Yes. Yes. I, I, this, this is something that's been kind of dear to my heart. I used to, to work in civic tech a lot and housing was, um, was a huge issue. It's a huge phenomenon. And the problem of housing, particularly in DC, and when I when I thought about the a, a problem that could be not easily resolved, I thought of this, right? Mm-hmm. I thought of gentrification, right? Because it's a complex enough issue that someone coming in and revitalizing a neighborhood can genuinely feel like they're doing good for a community, mm-hmm. like broken windows and no sidewalks, yeah. right? So there's there's a real way that someone can genuinely not feel like they're a bad person. Yep. Right. And um and I wanted to toy with that about where where he felt like his morals lied in this space and where Lisa felt like her her lines were. Yep. And toy with them at the end. I think I came up with a you know with a with a good enough solution at the end where they kind of both got a little bit of what they needed. Yep. Uh, but I mean we'll see. We'll see if everyone hates it. <laughs> I think so. So why do you think look sort of pulling back and looking at Austin? Why do you think her books remain so timeless and so relevant? There are not a lot of authors who can claim relevancy for that long. Oh, gosh. This is a beautiful question. I think about this so often. Like, why am I still reading this? Why does this still work on me? Why why does my heart flutter again and again? Yes. I, I think it's rich. I think it's incredibly rich. Um, that's just one just giveaway is I can read it like I, I can read it again and say, ah, you know what? I never recognize. I've never remembered that one section or that one part. So like it's incredibly rich. I also think that um, women in particular have not allowed Jane Austen to <laughs> to like flutter or like to die down. So, if you, you know, like the cycles of like classic literature in particular. Right. Um, oftentimes, uh, classic literature can be very masculinist, right? And it can be like wrapped up in this is what it means to tell a sentence. And um, like Ernest Hemingway, I think, like famously didn't like Jane Austen, right? He just like hated her because of of the the trifling subject matter, right? And so, like this particular way of seeing the world, right? If you can think about her economic stances, if you can think about her political stances. And you can think about the way that she talks about marriage in a way that's very clear-eyed and a little less romantic. Yeah. Like Jane Austen's stories are these like tiny little scenes of life in this particular time. And people will try to dismiss them. a, A lot of literature folks have tried to like say, Hey, you know, this is, this isn't this, or this is classic, but not classic for these reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But she endures. Because the stories that she's telling, the stories, not necessarily about the people, right? But the stories that she is telling is about like 
how does a woman receive or create like value for herself in this society? Right. Right. How does a woman become seen? Right. And and that's the, the question that I feel like I take from a lot of Jane Austen novels is oftentimes that it's through marriage, but it is the one time in this in 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 the time period where she is able to actually access some agency. And how does she use that tiny bit of agency to become seen and become the person that she wants to be? I mean, come on. That's that's, that's, that's very hero. rich text right there. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's heroes epic. That's Gilgamesh stuff. Absolutely. You know? And being a DJ, Liza has agency. She yeah. is creating her own voice out of other people's voices. Yeah. Yeah. And like we were talking about before, what Jane Austen writes about keeps happening. Keeps happening. We still have questions about women's economic stability, whether it's access to abortion and healthcare, whether it's access to housing, whether it's access to fair employment, where it's access to a working environment where you aren't dealing with bullshit microaggressions all the time. Come on. on. Yeah. You you know that. Gosh, that's, that's precisely it. And there's still... Instances, not instances, I mean, it's still very real, where women and girls are told to go to college, right, and get their MRS, right? Oh, yeah. I went to a women's college in South Carolina. I know all about that pipeline. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm from Texas. Okay. So yes, we're talking. I hear you loud and okay. clear. Okay. We're talking to each other then. Mm-hmm. So, like, so, yeah, so that's that's not um, really that far away. Like, we're not in, like, the, the, the swinging 2022s that people tend to think we are. Nope. Uh, those expectations about how when... receives and creates value for herself are still sometimes wrapped up in the marriage plot. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that you're working on your second novel. Can you talk about it at all? I can. Oh, good. I'm glad. (laughs) Okay. Because it's a little snippet in the back of the book. Okay. Well, I have a review copy, so I don't have a snippets. I have no snippets. So tell me all the snippets. Okay. Okay. My next book is a Sense and Sensibility retelling. It's called Sex, Lies, and Sensibility. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it is about a sister, Nora, who um, has a very private um, tape of hers leaked. Oh, and no. for those reasons, creates a demeanor about herself that is very counter to her very kind of wild sister. They find out um, at their father's funeral that they were the outside children, not the inside children. And all the money that they were enjoying um, as a result of that just dries up. And there is a a place and it's in the backwaters of Maine. And they have to be like, you know, the fourth black people in Maine. So so that is that is their journey. They have to go there and rehab an inn um, there with very different sensibilities. And when you do something like rehabbing an inn, you're engaging with concepts of home and yeah. hearth and welcome and safety. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, are also major themes in Sense and Sensibility. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Little like, <laughs> huge. So I'm trying to, like, touch on also these, like, these broad issues of how these people kind of express themselves. Sense and Sensibility is essentially about two sisters who both immediately fall in love, right? Yep. Except one is an asshole about it and the other person pretends like it didn't happen. Like like that's like that's feelings. I do not have those. What are you talking yeah. about? What do you what do you mean? You know? Um and the other one's just emo about it. And so like that like the the same thing happens to them, right? But it they're experiencing this so differently. And that's yes. like part of the beauty of that story. So I always ask this question, what books are you reading that you want to tell people about? 
Oh my gosh. I want to scream about the weight in blood. This is, I think, I think, um, I'm so sorry that I'm forgetting her name, but it's a Carrie retelling of, uh, it's a black Carrie retelling. Oh, hello. By Tiffany D. Jackson. Yes. Oh, Tiffany. Oh, yes. Tiffany Jackson. It has my entire heart. It is so good. It's very dark. I mean, you know. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit dark. Um, I am constantly reading um, Don't Get Too Comfortable, David Rakoff. I, I, I read that really on a loop. I love his, like his voice and his tone. Um, I'm, I'm a real fan of like essayists and humorists. So David Sedaris, David Rakoff, um, Augustine Burroughs. I love them. I can just read them forever. Um, Samantha Irby as well. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just so funny. Right. Um, so I, I've been screaming about that. I've also been watching um, Love is Blind. Which oh, I, that's a very rich anthropological text, ma'am. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you, it's deep because I've been watching this reunion and I feel like I have so many, I have so many hot takes. Like it's, it's insane what's happening on these shows. Like, I just feel like there needs to be like an anthropology of reality TV. Like, oh my gosh, you're yeah. so right. Yeah. So there is a wonderful podcast called Maintenance Phase, which yeah. is about decoding anti-fat bias. Um, so it's Michael Hobbs from oh, yes. You're Wrong About and Aubrey Gordon, who writes online as your fat friend. And they talk about diet culture. They talk about weight loss, fads, the fact that, you know, calories in, calories out is utter garbage. The BMI is based in like deep racism from the 30s, like all of these things we're going to. And I love podcasts that do the work of, you know, reframing. So I joined their Patreon because you like us, you know, you got to support your creators. Yes. One of their earliest Patreon episodes was Aubrey telling Michael about why she loves The Bachelor. And I I have a very low threshold for the cringe of other people on TV. <laughs> I cannot get through it very easily. Like, so I used to host a podcast for iHeartRadio called uh, Love Struck Daily with Alicia Rye. And yeah. she was like, I need you to watch Love is Blind season two so we can talk about it. Yeah. And I barely made it through. I thought, I I had like I had like the best abs of my life for all of the cringe that I went through. And I watched it on 1.5 speed because I couldn't handle these people speaking at normal speed. Like, I can't take it. This is horrible. So I have a very low threshold for so secondhand. Bad. Oh gosh, it's so horrible. But Aubrey was telling Michael that, you know, she's she's a community activist. She has spent her career doing community organizing in the on the in the Pacific Northwest and is a anti-fat bias activist. Like she's very very well informed in structures of society. And I'm like, "Please explain to me and to Michael, but also I will listen why you're into the bachelor." And basically she's like, "We are watching women realize that they do not have to tolerate trash men." Mm. And one of the narratives that happens in reality shows about dating is that you watch women come into the realization in a very, very, very narrow heteronormative space. Yeah. Hang on, I don't got to put up with this fuck boy. This guy can please fuck off up here like oh. right now. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it now. Thank you for explaining this to me. And Love is Blind this season is exactly the same. How many harmful merit narratives are going to be undone by watching women go, yeah, no, mm-mm, no. no, we're not doing this. And then talking amongst ourselves about toxicity and about like, did you see the one thing that this person did? Is he, are, are they okay? Is that, this sounds like a sign of this. And so like, yeah, like talking about what is right or wrong in these relationships. And it's just, I just, I, I, I love it. There's just something happening there with that, particularly th- season three. 
And I think that happens with Austin too. Because when, when Jane Austen is writing characters who treat each other poorly, it's almost like you're watching someone next to you. It's not your friend telling you, Hey, um, your partner is trash. And I know that because I have said this to you, you are suddenly going to make big decisions based on my opinion. But if you have your friend sit down and watch a parallel story that mimics what's happening, you're going to be like, Oh, wait a minute. That person is trash. And Jane Austen does that a lot too. She, tells parallel stories so that one side will realize, oh, hold on, that's not okay. That's not okay. That's absolutely right. She foils the hell out of us. She absolutely does. Yeah, right? I mean, if you can think about like in Pride and Prejudice, for example, how the Gardners versus the Bennets. Yes. Like the Bennets relationship is trash. Like they just, you know, like they're like not in a good marriage, you know? And the Gardners represent this like stable, solid relationship but also like this this way for for elizabeth to enter into like um established to say like hey she's a part of an established and like good family yeah she has she has good relations here are the gardeners yeah absolutely and the gardeners don't have any children that's right and so the expectation of the gardeners is that they will take on the bennett children as their as their children but they really they really only take on the ones that they want to spend time with (laughs) true that's true. But then there's this expectation that the Bennett children also need to be like, what is it? Poor, what is it? Poor Kitty. Um, who's was like, bless her heart. But at the end of Pride and Prejudice, they were just like, and Kitty was like able to hang out with, with, um, Elizabeth and not Lydia. And her society was much improved and yeah. she was just not trash because she wasn't hanging out. Like the whole idea is like, they need to be like extracted from their environment and like yep. put in their, you know, put in better places, you know? And the same thing happens with reality TV too, right? You have these people who are in this, like for example, with Love and Blind, you have these people where they're in this very specific situation. And the thing that fascinates me about Love is Blind is that you start off in the pods and then you go on vacation and then you move in together (laughs) and then you plan a wedding. It's like a very short timeline for some major life events. Really short. But at the same time, you have people who are in a specific situation that then have to go out into society they have to go on vacation with everybody and yeah. be in a big group. And then they have to, you know, go to where they live and move in together or whatever. But they... In those groups, they have to start comparing their relationships. Yes, exactly. At their relationships with respect to, the, to other people. Right. And that's when the real mess actually starts to happen on, on Love is Blind. Oh, absolutely. They choose and they get to see relationships. Yep. Yeah. And they get to see the people that they thought maybe they had a connection with, yeah. but they didn't choose them. But wait, maybe they yeah. should have chosen them. It is a very, very rich text for an anthropologist, I can imagine. Isn't it juicy? It's, it's juicy. very juicy. I mean, I can't imagine why there's not an anthropology reality TV conference. Oh my gosh. I wonder if there is. There's I would listen to every session. As would I. I mean. There's this one. I'm sorry. I won't, you know, I'm, we're going too far on reality TV maybe, but. No, there's no such on, thing. On HBO and it's called Fuckboy Island. <gasps> and I've heard of it. Have you watched it? I have watched it and it's remarkably feminist. And I just have to say that, like, there are these lessons about like, here's what consent is. And I think Nikki, the the a comedian, Nikki, she's famous. Yeah. She's famous. She's a, a comedian and she hosts it. And she's just like roasting these dudes. And they're three women and they are trying to decide which man is the fuck boy and which one is the good guy. And they have to like use their own decision making skills because the fuck boy can take their money or split it with them. You know, so it's just. It's a great, that's a great one. And it's weird because it's much like, much like Austin, 
and much like romance, you have this incredibly empowering, subversive narrative in like the most opulent gingerbread house of patriarchal expectations you've ever seen. Like inside the most opulently decorated gingerbread house of patriarchy, you have subversive feminism. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that because like you, you crack open this door and you're expecting something else and you're just like, oh, this is a bite of something juicy. Right. I thought this way. This step back has this man, you know, like dominating this woman on the cover. Yep. Oh, but she was, she, you know, she, she made it. She made it happen. Like, you yep. don't know this. <laughs> so, yeah. And no, you look I at the covers, it's like, oh, Fabio and his 95 mile long pectorals are on the cover of this book. But inside, is probably a narrative about centering women's sexual pleasure and women's sec- and centering women's autonomy. Oh, honey, it's just also a story about women choosing. Yes, women choosing absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Come on, it's brilliant. So, where can people find you if you wish to be found? It is okay if you don't wish to be found on the internet. I understand. Um, I wish to be found because I'm a debut, and I need people to find me. Obviously, <laughs> yes. Um. Uh, so on Twitter, I am Nikki Payne Books. On Instagram, I'm also at Nikki Payne Books. So Nikki Payne Romance on TikTok. Those are my three main social medias. Awesome. Yeah. And I specialize in very specific Jane Austen memes that, you know, <laughs> that are funny to me and me only. Right. So. But they're never going to get old. They're never going to get old. They're never going to get out. I've I've built a community of people that have this exact sense of humor, and I'm very excited. It's good to find your people on the internet, right? It is. is. And Jane is extremely dead, very, very, very deceased, and yet deeply relevant. Deeply relevant. Dead, but deeply relevant. That's going to be my next tattoo. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much to Nikki Payne for hanging out with me on her release day. You can find links to locate your own copy of Pride and Protest in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And as always, I end with a terrible joke and this joke is absolutely dreadful and it's from Malara who is in the jokes channel on our patron discord. Are you ready? What happens when life gives you pickles instead of lemons? What happens when life gives you pickles instead of lemons? You deal with it. (laughs) I love a good food joke. Thank you, Malara. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a fantastic weekend. If you are traveling, please be safe and mellow and may everyone be chill alongside you. We will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcast. (laughs) Deal with it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.